Jesus is alive. This is the central fact of Christianity. This is the centerpiece of everything we believe. That Jesus did not remain in the tomb after he was killed, but that he rose again, that he was resurrected. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 and 18, which you can read there or follow along in your Bibles. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If the resurrection isn't true, our faith is futile. Our being here this morning is worthless. All of our work as the church is without any meaning at any point. If Jesus was not made to come alive again after being killed on the cross, we have no freedom from our sin, either the grip of it or the guilt of it. We are still in our sins. If Jesus was not resurrected, then death is the end. But, praise God, because of Jesus' resurrection, we can live, and we can live by faith, and we can live in freedom, and we can live forever. So this Easter morning, uh, I've prayed quite a bit about what to share with you during the message. And I just want us to look at those three facts. That because of the resurrection, we can live by faith, in freedom, forever. So first, Jesus' resurrection means that we can live by faith. I want to read to you 1 Peter 1.3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Becoming a Christian is not like signing up for a Costco membership. It's not something that you sign up for, you get your name on a list, and you get an ID card, and you're in, and then you go on about your life. Becoming a Christian is not even like joining a church, where you come forward and you make a conscious decision, okay, I'd like to join this church, and you come forward, and here we have a vote, and you know we welcome you as a member. It's not like that sort of transaction at all. Becoming a Christian is like being born. So think back to when you were born. Do you remember what that felt like? <laughs> you guys don't remember? Just think about what it must have been like when you were born. You know, a, a fetus, a, a baby still in the womb only knows the womb. That is the universe to that baby. The darkness, the, the cramped confines of the womb is the total of all concept of reality that a baby before being born knows. Maybe a heartbeat that it senses. You know, it's fed intravenously. Ambiotic fluid. That's it. That's all of life. And then all of a sudden, born. Imagine the shock of that if you were a baby. Uh, suddenly, out of the warm, dark womb, into the bright, Light, cold air, 
other people around grabbing you, snipping things that probably seem pretty vital to you (laughs) prior to your birth. The whole universe just explodes. Your whole concept of reality just cracks in half, opens up. Something you could have never imagined as a baby before you were born. Okay, that's more what becoming a Christian is like. Before Christ, we live in in this little womb, this little dark confines of the world as we know it. And what we have is what we see. And what we see is all we have. We have our day-to-day life. We have our responsibilities. We have our family. We have our flesh and blood. We have the hours of our days. And that's all we know. All of our hopes in this little womb world are extremely limited. Extremely limited. You know, when you're young, you're just hoping that you can get some candy if you eat all your dinner. As you get a little older, you're just hoping that the people at school like you. As you get a little older, you're just hoping that girl or that boy likes you. As you get a little bit older, you're just hoping maybe that you can get into the college you're wanting to get into. You get a little bit older, you're just hoping maybe you can get into the kind of job you're wanting to get into. You get a little bit older, you're hoping that the woman says yes, she'll marry you, or that the man asks. And then you're hoping that your family is healthy, that your children are healthy. And then as life progresses, you're hoping you keep your job. And then it goes on a little further, you're hoping you can retire. And then it goes a little further, and you're hoping that you can live long enough to see your grandkids or your great-grandkids reach their milestones. And then eventually you're just hoping that you can die with dignity. And then there's a period at the end of life, all those hopes gone. So limited, so finite, so temporary. See, because of the resurrection, we have been born again, but to something very specific. Note what he says. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. See, we're born out of this little womb world into a whole new world that's bright and airy and different from anything we could have ever imagined. And we're born into a new world where there's a living hope, a hope that goes on forever. It's not like these temporary dying hopes that just don't last, that you know that we hold with an open hand. You know that could be swiped away at any moment. But the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ is nothing like those hopes. That's what the new birth introduces us to, and it's glorious. How, or how is someone born into this living hope? He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the labor process has everything to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a hard concept to understand. To get our minds around it a little bit better, try to put yourself in the sandals of the disciples. Try to put yourself in their place when Jesus was crucified. Okay, these are men who responded to the call of Jesus Christ to leave everything behind. They left their fishing boats and their fishing business behind and followed Jesus. They left their family behind to follow Jesus. Uh, Levi, who we read about a couple weeks ago, left his tax collection booth, probably money on the table, just left it behind to follow Jesus. They put all their hope, all their faith in this man, Jesus Christ. And then he was seized and humiliated and tortured and killed and buried. And that's it. 
And they all scatter and they all go into hiding. You know, I've heard it said that they are, they were cowardly, but they weren't really cowardly. I think they were doing what any of us would do if we saw the man that we put all of our faith in killed and buried. They must have thought, well, we must not have understood. We must have gotten it wrong. So they fled. They disappeared. All their hopes were nailed onto that cross and all their hopes were buried with Jesus Christ. And so history tells us that Jesus died. Even not the Bible itself, but history. We know he died. And we know his disciples became silent immediately after his death. But then something happened to cause them to come out with incredible boldness. These men who were too afraid to be there by the cross suddenly come out and they preach a very harsh message very boldly. And they lead the church, which is just begins to explode and expand and spread. And they courageously face their own martyrdom, their own martyrdom, their death on behalf of Jesus Christ. Something happened to, to make them be almost like reborn, almost as though they were born again to a living hope that gave them the strength of faith, this backbone that they never had before. I mean, they died violent deaths following Jesus after he had died and been buried. Some of them died by the sword. Some of them were hung. Some of them were beheaded. One of them was thrown from a building and that didn't kill him. So then the people went down and beat him to death. Some of them were stoned to death, shot with arrows. And then Peter himself, who wrote that, that, that was up there. Peter himself, who wrote that. You remember his story. He denied Jesus three times while he was being tried and then eventually murdered. A little girl came up to him out by a campfire outside where Jesus was being questioned and said, Hey, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And he said, No, I don't know the man. He was afraid. But something happened to change him to where he proclaimed Jesus so boldly that he was going to be put to death for it. And they were going to crucify him. And he said, Crucify me, but not like my Lord Jesus, because I'm not worthy to die like he did. Crucify me upside down. And history records that he was killed that way. What happened? Well, they encountered the risen Jesus. They encountered the fact of the resurrection. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, they were born again to a living hope. And so they lived by faith. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can live by faith. Because he was raised from the dead, we know that he was who he claimed to be. Which means we know that his promises are true, are sure, are solid. It means when he says, don't be anxious about anything, but seek first the kingdom of heaven and all those things will be added to you. We can trust that and we can live by faith in that. Pick any promise and you can live on top of that promise because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. So because of the resurrection, we can live by faith. The second fact I want to point out to you Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can live in freedom. I want to read to you now Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I was just talking to someone about that a little earlier. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 7 says, We were buried, therefore, with Jesus by baptism into death, in order that, 
just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. See, the Bible teaches, and I think experience teaches for me, and I'm pretty sure for you, that without Jesus Christ, we are enslaved to sin. We don't just dabble in it. We don't just make occasional bad choices. We are enslaved to it. And many of you know this because of your own struggles with sin. Some of you stopped struggling and you just embraced your sin, perhaps. Because you know you can't stop. Without Jesus Christ, we are slaves to sin. We must be idolatrous without Jesus Christ. Our hearts are so messed up because of the way sin entered the world and ruined everything. We must worship things other than the one true God. We must be selfish. I've told you many times, we don't have to teach our children to be selfish. They learn, they just do it. It's just in there. Because we're born into slavery. We must obey our bodily desires without Jesus Christ. But Jesus killed our old master on the cross. And now, according to this passage, we're free to walk in newness of life. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can live free from sin's grip and sin's guilt. And I know I already talked about this out by the crosses, but not all of you were here for that. The resurrection, the truth of that, holds incredible power for us as we battle sin. The truth of the resurrection can free you from the grip of sin and the guilt of sin. Some of you are in the grip of sin and it has you tightly in its grip. You're living a life that's just got sin ingrained in it. You've made decisions that you know. I mean, I'm looking out across here. I know many of you have grown up in church. And some of us have made decisions that we know directly contradict things that God has told us. But because we feel powerless to stop ourselves, we do it anyway. Jesus died so that you could be freed from that. See, the truth is, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, it's not that you should die to sin, it's that you are dead to sin. He did it already. And some of you are in the, in the crisis of guilt over sin. It's not so much the temptation that's getting a hold of you, it's the accusation, it's the guilt and the shame and the fear of exposure and the embarrassment. See, because Jesus was killed for your sin, it's totally paid for. It's been nailed to the cross. The penalty has been paid. It's done. And you're clean now. And you're forgiven now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know these things are true because Jesus arose from the dead. So because of the resurrection, we can live in freedom We can live by faith. And finally, because of the resurrection, we can live forever. Jesus says in John 11, 25 through 26, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You know, death kills all other hopes. On the deathbed, all other hopes vanish. This hope, hope in Jesus Christ, is the one hope that kills death. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, Old death, where is your victory? Old death, where is your sting? As your pastor, all I want for you is that you know the power of Jesus Christ and his cross and his resurrection on your behalf. All these other things, they come. But put your stake in the ground here on Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection for you. Put your weight there. Put your trust there. Because he's alive, we can live by faith. You can live by faith. You can live in freedom. And we can live forever. Let's pray. Father, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to see these truths. Enable us to put our entire hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe some of us for the first time, maybe some of us, maybe we just need to be refreshed in our faith. But may we all live by faith. May we all live in freedom. May we all live forever. May we all be found in the risen Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.